I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. With your hands bound, I just want to talk. Last time we talked, I ended up hanging from my ankles. That was before I knew who you were. Before I knew what made you different from the others. I have an audio recording from Pegasus of your voice from a plane crash six years ago on a device I believe you call a black box. They told me it was destroyed in the crash. How'd you get it? She don't understand. Young lady, I have a special skill that kind of allows me to get into places I'm not supposed to be. Call me young lady again. I'm going to put my foot in the place it's not supposed to be. Am I supposed to guess where that is? Your ass. Oh. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And joining me is a new guest and a fellow podcaster, and that is Nicholas Pepin. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about you? Doing pretty good. I uh, just finished wrapping up another episode right before, so I'm doing a double feature uh, this morning. Uh, before we jump too much into today's movie, we're going to be talking about Captain Marvel. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and about your podcast? Uh, I am. Uh, I live in Wisconsin, right outside of Milwaukee. Uh, I have a podcast called Pop Culture Roulette. I do with two of my friends, um, where we... Basically, anything we want to talk about, we just call it pop culture and, and uh, talk about it. It's it, uh, real convenient to uh, basically like, hey, if we feel like talking about sports today, well, sports is pop culture. If we feel like talking about the newest movie or whatever, you know, obviously that's pop culture. But uh, currently we're in the middle of a, um, a series on who played it best. We just released the episode for the others. So like everybody who's not Marvel or DC, so like. Everybody who played Green Hornet, Flash Gordon, uh, the Archie comics, you know, whatever. And we were debating who did what 
uh, who what was the better live action actor? Um, we've got Marvel on deck, and then then we're gonna attempt to to uh, crack DC, but that's a oh. <laughs> That's a large there. Yeah, crack. yeah. Especially when you get into Batman and Superman, you got so many. Oh my there. God. Yeah, there's like there's a. It, that's why I had to limit it to live action because like we were gonna have to do an episode just on Batman if we did animated mm. as well. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just live action, you could just do an episode on Batman because there've been so yeah. many of them. I mean, there's a, a, I think eight live action Batman. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, it's funny that you mentioned this because uh, I just before I started recording stuff today, I watched the tra- the new trailer for The Flash and um, Michael Keaton gets a lot more chance to shine in that trailer. And God, he looks he looks so good in this movie. And I, yeah, as much as yeah. I hate Ezra Miller, just I, I can't turn down the chance to watch Michael Keaton on the live on the big screen one last time. No, I was there in 89. I, um, that, I mean, I distinctly remember going to see that movie in the theaters. I mean, that was, I received that as a, I can't remember if it was a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, but you know, I had that, the, the black and yellow cassette tape that just had like the Batman logo on it. Yeah. I had that too. VHS. Like, I mean, that is, as much as I love, you know, a lot of the other Batman stuff, like Michael Keaton is my Batman yeah yeah no i feel a lot of yeah i mean like there's there's stuff i quibble with in terms of you know the the whole killing aspect of it but but still like just his performance the more i think about it the more i'm just like that that is that is my batman you're right yeah and and you know like dc has been disappointing to put it mildly the last handful of films that they've Mm -hmm. released and uh so like I the first trailer I was like oh man it's got Michael Keaton so I'm going to see it and then the one like you said, I watched it while I was getting ready for this as well and I was like oh he is like this is why they're actually releasing the movie because uh you know they spent way too much time and effort getting Michael Keaton in this thing I'm still holding out hope that they that we might be able to see him in a Batman Beyond movie cuz he just he looks so much like the part now for an old Bruce Wayne Absolutely. And and I don't believe for a second that someday they won't figure out a way to accidentally release Batgirl. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm hoping I'm hoping about that, too. That's that's one of my hopes, too. Um, but I, so obviously you talked about 89 Batman seeing that when you were young. Um, so because we talk about superheroes here, what was kind of like your gateway into superhero stuff? Um, I mean, I Batman would be the the easiest answer um i grew up in in a town right outside of memphis that uh the library actually had comic books um so like my parents particularly my mom would take us to the library and you know we just free run of the library and i'd go read the batman they had batman comics but they had fantastic four and the avengers and stuff like that and then a, a good friend of mine had daredevil so and daredevil and punisher so like my you know my interest in comic books has been around for for as long as I can remember. I I've proudly been a nerd my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like this whole this whole nerd renaissance where we we now run the world is great, but I've been yeah. here forever, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it it well we're talking about Captain Marvel, so this will probably definitely factor in the conversation about like all the the misogynistic discussions going on. And like me growing up as, as a lonely kid who was like the only one in my school who who liked comic books, or at least the only one who was willing to to admit that they liked comic books, I would have killed for people to be interested in this stuff back when I was growing up. Right. I would, I would have, the, 
I would have killed for just having a like podcast didn't exist back then. I would have mm-hmm. killed just for the idea of being able to sit down and have a conversation with with people or listen to two people have a conversation about the stuff that I was interested in. And I mean, just the I mean, the Internet obviously also didn't exist then. So it was harder mm-hmm. to find people who, you know, who were willing to have those conversations. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you said you saw Batman in the theater. So I think you're a little bit, you got a few, a little bit older than me, but yeah, I remember we got the internet in my house when I was like in probably like eighth grade or something like that. So it was like right at the end of junior high. And that was when I was able to first find out. It's like, Oh wow. Other people like comic books too. (laughs) Yeah. It was a huge revelation to me because like nobody in my town had ever talked about it. Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, because uh, I graduated high school in 96, so I, th- I think based on, because I did listen to a couple episodes, so I, I knew what I was getting into. Um, I think I've got four or five years on you. Yeah, I graduated um, in 02, so. Yeah, so I uh, I've t- I remember, like, people, like, there was the, the early days of the internet where, like, you had basically just chat rooms. Chat rooms, like, AOL message boards was a big thing in my. Yeah, I mean that kind of. And then when I graduated high school and went to college, like my college was just starting to get in on the internet. Like they didn't even have like official email. Like they just had like a computer room where you could go do research for your papers and stuff. But like mm-hmm. you didn't know, almost nobody had a computer in their dorm room right. that was that was internet capable. It was basically just there to write term papers. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay, and uh, another thing I want to ask people lately is, um, what are you interested in right now? Like, it can be anything, you know, comics, movies, TV shows, video games. What is kind of grabbing your interest at the moment? Um, I mean, I'm still very much interested in whatever Marvel is. I've just been so in, entrenched in doing the, the podcast thing. Um, a friend of mine from college started an 80s podcast. Uh, uh, podcast where he talks about uh 80s films so i've i've been re-watching a bunch of 80s films but i also have uh been re-watching the monsters the from the 60s oh, okay. um but i just i just uh last weekend i watched cocaine bear oh how was that oh it is gloriously cheesy it is <laughs> i mean don't you know you're not getting you know uh well, I, Citizen Kane is always the example that people use, but I've never actually watched that movie. Um, you're not getting a masterpiece. Mm. You are getting something similar to Snakes on a Plane. So, you know, it is, it is, you know, everybody in it knew what they were getting into and they just had fun with it. It is a sci-fi, you know, like it's a movie that got elevated beyond just a sci-fi original. It is so much fun and it is just cheesy. Um, and uh, just, Elizabeth Banks is in that too, isn't she? She directed it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, she is um, in it, but she directed it. Oh, okay. Because I was, I was thinking that because uh, I ju- we had just done an episode on uh, the twenty seventeen Power Rangers where she gloriously chews all the scenery in that movie, and um, I was hoping she was in it too. Maybe we get to see some more scenery chewing performances from her, but I guess not. Uh, no, uh, but she allowed uh, some some people. She allowed uh, who was I'm trying to remember now. I'm blanking on who um, Felicity. Uh, Oh, uh, Carrie, I can't remember her last name, but yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. They, they allowed her to do some scenery chewing. And then, okay. uh, the, one of the Jesse Tyler Ferguson from modern family mm-hmm. for his very short, uh, in the movie, he, he got to do some scenery. I mean, it was, like I said, it is absolutely cheesy. I love, I love bad movies. I love good movies, but I mean, I, you know, 
very like it just finished its run a couple months ago and i'm waiting for the new season of uh, what we do in the shadows mm-hmm. that might be one of my favorite shows on tv right now okay cool so. very cool um for my part like i've been recording so many of these episodes in a row lately so i've been trying to pick something different each episode so i don't bore the audience by keep t- mentioning the same thing but um one thing is i'm doing uh i'm gonna be appearing on my buddy's uh power rangers podcast soon and we're gonna be talking about um the original japanese version of power rangers uh kyoryu sentai zoo ranger so um i've been watching some of those episodes i'm not sure if you ever were a power rangers guy back in the day but um it's really fun going back and watching the original Japanese because there's some things about it that's so similar. Obviously they use the same action footage for a lot of the stuff, but, but also like just to see like the different ways that they, they told the same story with these footage is also a really interesting thing to do. Cause you and, are, you currently live in Japan, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm guessing that means you are fluent in Japanese. Not fluent, no. I mean, I after being here for ten plus years, I should be, but <laughs> but I'm not, unfortunately. But it is it is cool to watch it too because I can also get, I understand a lot more of the cultural stuff than I would have if um, if I had never been in Japan. So that's also an interesting aspect to to watching this show. And yeah, it's the Power Rangers were a little after me. Like they, I was towards the end of high school when that started. So like I was we I was aware of it. And I think I probably watched a little bit of it here and there, but it was, it was a little bit out of my wheelhouse by the time it came out. I've always, I mean, I've been aware of it and I'd have, I have no problems with it. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm anti power ranger, but I've always just seen it as a uh, more of a Voltron ripoff. And well, Voltron is what I had when I was a kid. Right. So. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, there's a lot of similarities to that. Um, I'm not sure which came first was, was it Sentai or Voltron? I'd have to look that up in, in Japan, but um but yeah actually the first time i had encountered something voltron was my first thought was like oh is this a power rangers animated thing <laughs> um but yeah I, and even when i when power rangers came out it was i was about 10 years old when it came out and at that point in my school it was uncool to like power rangers so so i was like it was like my hidden it was like my secret shame back then when i was in elementary oh. school see that's sad i'm i'm so glad that kids these days don't have well hopefully don't have mm-hmm. the same the same problems that, that we had yeah yeah um anyway today we are discussing like we mentioned captain marvel uh first movie starring uh brie larson as carol danvers uh what's your history with uh carol in the comics have you ever have you ever had much uh exposure in when... the comic books or were you can't do you come in with this movie no i i am i'm i was i was reading her when she was miss marvel mm-hmm uh, before they did the switch to Captain Marvel in what was that like oh eight oh nine yeah that was, yeah 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 um, I was a fan of her then um, so like I I was I mean I I do I don't know as much about the character as somebody like yeah I did some research a little bit here and there and I I've read I have in oh five when i moved from florida to wisconsin i i got back into comic books in a big way and like i started going to a store and buying and and the the captain marvel character while she was grounded on um but yeah no i i've always you know like i've i've had i've enjoyed her as a character um i I enjoy whenever they put her in a video game i tend to use her like when they did her in marvel ultimate alliance or ultimate alliance 2 whichever one she she appeared in yeah i think that was ultimate alliance too if i'm not mistaken 
Yeah. Um, so like I was definitely aware of the character and had a, a passing familiarity with it before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had known her from um, like I'd seen her in the she she appeared in one episode of the X-Men animated series. So that was probably my first exposure to her. Um, so I knew about I knew mostly about her through the X-Men and like that. That's how Rogue got her her flight and her super strength and all those powers. But when I was uh, I started reading the Avengers uh, when Kurt Busiek and George Perez were doing their run in the late 90s. And and she was a member and she ended up joining the team. And that was my big exposure to, to Carol as a character. Back then, she was called Warbird, but she was still wearing the Ms. Marvel costume. Um, and yeah, I really liked her in 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 that run. And I became a fan of her at that point. And so. When they brought her back is Ms. Marvel. I'd read those books after the fact. and But then when they brought her back, when they gave her the Captain Marvel mantle, I thought, oh, yeah, this actually makes a whole lot of sense. So I was totally on board for that. Um, I've only read some of the books with her. I've only read some of her solo books as Captain Marvel. I've read her mostly in uh, team books since then, like when she pops up in the Avengers and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I you know, I, I've always just you know, I remember she was binary at one point too, wasn't she? Yeah, that was in the after she had because after the thing with Rogue, she had lost her powers and then she had joined the X Men for a time, just kinda like helping them out. And then they went into space and this was in the this was in probably the nineteen eighties, I believe. She gained like these new space powers as binary, and then those powers pretty much they've they've been the same powers. It's just now she doesn't transform into the binary form but like the energy manipulation the flight all of that it still comes from the the binary powers like they haven't gone back they've kind of like retroactively given her the super strength and stuff as well i think but mostly it comes from the binary powers okay yeah uh so what did you think about this movie when you first watched it um because this was actually, it took a while to get this. They were actually originally planning to introduce Captain Marvel in Age of Ultron, was what Josh Whedon wanted to do, but they had, that plan had been scrapped, and then production for this movie just kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, until finally they, they ended up doing it you know, right after uh, Infinity War. But what did you think at the time when you first saw it? I, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie the first time I saw it. Um... um... I do think that the introduction was a little weird um, because I mean, as, as a comic book nerd, like when I take my wife to see these movies, she's, and she, she hadn't watched any of those before we got married. We've been married now for about 12 years. So mm-hmm. like I've been introduced, she's not, she doesn't want to read any of it. She just wants to watch the movies. She doesn't want to hear about it when we're out because then I'll be like, Oh, they changed this or they did that. Or, and she's like, whatever. I just, you know, I want to enjoy the movie. So at the end of infinity war, when we got the captain Marvel symbol, and knowing that, that movie was coming, I was like, oh, I'm so excited for like what that meant. Um, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought Brie Larson did a, a, a you know, better than good job at it. Um, having rewatched it, it, I see some problems, but nothing that wouldn't put it, you know, squarely middle to upper end of the pack of the Marvel movies. I mean, I know a lot of people hate it and I'm sure we'll get there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie got tons of unjustified hate i'd say because i really enjoyed it too like like you said there's some issues i think the the whole idea of setting it in the 90s and having such this big you know sci-fi type thing in a time before iron man was supposed to kickstart this whole idea of like sci-fi superheroes in the mcu feels a little incongruous i mean i think they managed to 
mostly they managed to stick the landing, but it still feels a little odd to think about this as being in the MCU past. Um, Cause like, just like that whole space battle it feels like somebody would have noticed something like that going on. Well, and, and the one thing that my wife asked me and, and is that like, during the Battle of Manhattan or during Ultron, like Fury never thought, hey, maybe I should use the pager for this. Like, so I, you do, I did hear somebody and I don't remember who it was, whether it was uh, one of the Russos or, or Brie Larson herself was like, why didn't, uh, why didn't Fury ever use the pager? And they were like, well, who said that he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. and she just either refused to answer or was like, you know, that's not big enough for me to come bother with. Right. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that, too. And I I agree. I think your wife makes a really good point. And I don't think there's a my headcanon of trying to resolve that was just that. Well, Fury had the Avengers. He probably didn't think it was a big enough concern to to summon Captain Marvel for that, which is it's iffy. <laughs> it's definitely if an iffy explanation. But it, it it's kind of like the timeline here. It 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 kind of works. It mostly works. It's. Not perfectly, but it, it mostly works if you think about yeah. it that way. No, and I and I, I agree with you that the hate is completely unjustified, and I think most of the hate comes from the troll forms. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the, the people who actually watched the movie um, either were like, well, it's not bad, or, or you know, quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm you know, we can pick apart some scenes that you know didn't work, or or you know, just kind of were a little bit cheesy, but you know. Overall, I think the tone of the movie worked. Setting it in the 90s does create some timeline problems because then you're like, wait, how did nobody notice what was happening over here? Especially right. somebody especially somebody like Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. um, but I mean, that that is the problem with all the solo Marvel movies after you've had the Avengers. Yeah. Is that you now have a world where like Iron Man could call any of these people. Mm-hmm. and he doesn't like or any of these people could look at the tv and say hey wait spider-man is over here fighting massive people on the statue of liberty i think he's got it we'll just hang out and not we'll just watch <laughs> yeah i remember um and i kind of reconcile that away the same way i do when that happens in comic books it's just you assume okay well they're off on another adventure somewhere else um uh but there are definitely times when it seems like feels like someone else should have gotten involved here like you know i i love winter soldier but the whole thing about bringing down shield that feels like it's a time to at least give tony stark a call see what he's up to maybe right yeah yeah no he didn't think hey maybe i should go check out what's going on over here i mean surely the news had to cover it you know (laughs) helicarriers are crashing you know that that feels like something that would make uh headline news that night you know yeah yeah uh but also too like you know the past thing too like i think it works with certain things i thought ant-man worked really well when they had revealed that hank hank and jan were operating in the past because you know they're they're operating as covert agents basically they can shrink down it makes sense why nobody would be able to see them it's a lot harder to buy that when it's spaceships blowing up with right in front of the moon right yeah and um you know, and then, you know, you, you would think also as, you know, I, I was just trying to watch it again because I like to try to watch everything twice before I do it. And, um, you know, she's chasing these aliens down on a train in the middle of Los Angeles. 
And like that, you feel like that's a story that makes the news or like, you know, the tabloid is like, oh, these alien, like, you know, there's right. gotta be stories. So I would, I would love to see, uh, like, um, like maybe like a damage control series or, or some sort of, you know, series that's either going through and covering that stuff up, kind of like a Marvel X Files, mm-hmm. where or or you know the 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 on this on the other side of it, the group of people who are like trying to uncover all the secrets because they're like, you've got to believe like this is really happening. Like, mm-hmm. well, I think actually that's what Agents of Shield should have been. <laughs> I, yeah, I think and would I, be I a think... much better way to handle that approach. And I, I do think that if, if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was to happen now instead of prior to the Fox acquisition when they could mm-hmm. use the word mutant, we would have gotten a very different show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and also and if, they would, if Kevin Feige was in charge of it instead of Ike Perlmutter, too. <laughs> right. And they probably wouldn't have destroyed the inhuman thing. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. up until, like, the last season or two when it got mm. weird and time travely, But... Mm. I haven't seen actually the last two seasons of it. And, you know, for the most part, I I liked it more than I didn't like it. But I also felt like it could have been so much better than what we got. And yeah. I think if you had done something like exploring, I think when it was at its best was probably season two, right before the Inhuman stuff started up. That was probably for me, the end of season one, beginning of season two was probably like my peak time for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., when it led right in directly into Age of, Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. and then when uh, Winter Soldier happened and Dark uh, Dark World happened, like it was yeah. actually involved in the show. And then at some point, they were like, we're not going to be involved with the movie people anymore. We're going to go think, off and do our own thing. I think that was when, um, that was around the time, because after Age of Ultron was when Feige threatened to quit because Promoter was trying to push him out. And then that's when... Disney moved Marvel Studios into its own branch, and then Marvel TV stayed under Ike Perlmutter. So I think that's when that shift happened. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, overall, you know, up until I think about the point that you're pointing out, it was it was an enjoyable show. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I, you know, to try to steer it back into Captain Marvel, I guess. But, um, you know, it does, it does raise timeline questions, but I still, I think... I know a lot of the complaints about um, Phase 4, the one that we just ended or are currently mm-hmm. in. I'm never really sure. I think it that, just you know, ended with Quantum Mania, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like, the, the complaint is, like, it seems all over the place, and it's not connected like it was in, in, in 1 and 2 and 3. But it's like, I think we don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. I think that we might get a movie that goes back and connects things and puts some stuff behind the scenes that we didn't know about. Kind of like when um, Ant-Man brought you know Hank Pym in, and we're like, well, Hank Pym was there. He was there at the beginning of S.H.I.E.L.D. He just got mad and he left, but that's why S.H.I.E.L.D. had stuff that they had. That's right. where some, you know. No, so I'm, I agree. I'm, and, and this one t- does that, fills in some of those gaps, too, like with the Tesseract, right? Like what happened right. to it in all that time? It was just sitting in a box somewhere, but no, we find out that, no, they were trying to do stuff. Um, Marvel was trying to do experiments with it and everything. So that that filled in some of those gaps here, too. Um, I think one of the biggest... The timeline, I think, is one of the biggest things. I would probably... I'm fine with the parts of this being set in the 90s, but I think I would have moved a lot of the action set pieces, which is why I think maybe you you come out with this before Infinity War or something like that and maybe have some of those action set pieces in the present day made it or at least in a post avengers 
realm or something like that to have it fit together a little bit more. I don't know. I, I'd have to, even that, as I'm saying it, maybe doesn't sound exactly right either, but. No, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and, you know, then, you know, the, the one running joke of the movie that was kind of like a hot tub time machine, uh, like w- when's it going to happen? Like when's the eye patch coming? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, the, that constant joke or, or, you know, the Stan Lee, Kevin Smith, co- uh, cameo, the mall rats I mean, cameo. <laughs> yeah. Like as, as a big time Kevin Smith nerd, as a big time Kevin Smith fan, like I was super excited to see that. And I'm just like, where are we, you know? At, that opens the door to maybe, you know, bring him in at some point, which I know he's mm. been resistant to, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved all that part. Um, uh, so let's talk. So you mentioned Brie Larson. Like, I thought she also did a great job in, in this. I mean, she. A lot of people, they are saying like her performance is too wooden. And I'm kind of wondering if we watch the same movie, because I don't get that at all from her. There are obviously parts where she's playing it very straight, but. Like her interactions with Fury, she's a joy to watch in those. Like, she's right, just, yeah, you know, she's she's quipping with him, she's having fun with him. Like when she's asking him about, like, you know, tell me something about you that no one would ever know, and he talks about how he can't eat toast if it's cut diagonally, and she's like, and then he says, like, wait a minute, that's not really a test, is it? And she's like, and she just kind of smiles, she's like, no, I just wanted to know what you would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you have to also think about it. Like, here's a woman who woke up six years ago. Mm-hmm remembers nothing about herself on an alien world and now is under the belief that she's an alien coming to the planet now discovering that she's not like she's mm. not a Cree. um you know she really is a, a human and like trying to rediscover her own place in the world so that's gonna keep you from you know because you, know, you you've also she's been interacting with a group of of shape-shifting aliens that you mm. know anybody could be anything at any time. So you have to, you know, be careful of who you're opening up to. And, and so I, I don't know. I thought she played it very well. Um, when she was wo- uh, more wooden, like it was felt like it was necessary for that scene. And exactly. then she had the, she had the wry smiles and a more of a dry sense of humor, you know, which we don't tend to get, I guess we don't tend to get that out of, uh, you know, female actors as much. Mm-hmm. So I think people, you know, misinterpreted that that and you know to get into the you know the real world aspect of it because she was willing to stand up and say some things that you know were were true mm-hmm. um you know the 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 troll army wanted to attack her absolutely you know, yeah and and try to take her down for you know daring to have an opinion yeah yeah i agree with you uh all 100 cosign all that and um i one of the things i do wish too is maybe if they had played up the mystery angle because it I think there would have been because one of the things that happens to Carol in the comics is after Rogue drains her powers and her memories Professor X is able to restore her memories but she has no emotional connection to them so I think that aspect of her character you know would have kind of been interesting to play with here if maybe she gets her memories back but she can't feel that same emotional connection to them that she used to and it would have been a, a cool way to play with the idea of memory and all that kind of stuff too. If again, we might be waste spending too much time then on that kind of stuff. But I think that would also be something, uh, interesting way to play with that concept from the comics. Yeah. And I, I will say I do appreciate this new wave of superhero movies where the first movie isn't necessarily a true origin movie anymore. Mm-hmm. 
like we're skipping over the boring parts of the origin story and just trying to get into it. But with a character like Captain Marvel, who is familiar to people like you and I, but isn't familiar to your general audience, you kind of have to do some backstory to build it in. Like you can't like I, you know, in the world of Batman, you don't have to kill, you know, the parents anymore. You Mm. just don't you, the next Batman movie, you don't have to, you can just skip over that and go right into it. Right. I mean, well, they didn't even in the Batman, they didn't even, they, they talk about it. They reference it, but they never, they never go back and we don't see the pearls falling in slow motion for the 50th time. And that's what I loved about, uh, no way, uh, not uh, homecoming. Um, because you don't deal with uncle Ben again. Like you just start, he's already Spider-Man. We don't have to go over that again. We all, we've seen it twice now. Yeah, well, right. maybe more if you include the animated shows and the '70s shows, and you know. Right. But you know, we everybody knows Spider-Man, everybody knows Batman, everybody knows Superman. You can skip that. Yes. So when, in a way, with like Captain Marvel, you have to find a way to do sort of an origin, but get to the fun stuff and get to the good stuff right away. Yeah. Yeah. And and that I think you're still stumbling with characters that aren't as well known, and I think there is a little bit of a stumble here, but I think for the most part they hit it well. Yeah, I thought I like that. I like what you said there too. I agree with you as well. Like a lot of the origin story stuff, for the longest time, all we got in superhero movies was the origin story because that's a very easy story for Hollywood producers to understand. It's the classic hero's journey story. So, you know, the hero discovers, gets these, you know, fantastic powers, ends up going through this journey, become ends up putting on the costume of the third act. All of that totally makes sense in the hero's journey arc. Um, but as you're doing more and more of these movies, it it starts to become old hat, especially when you're doing multiple movies and building up this franchise, like having a new origin story. Every single time you have a new character audiences are, they're talking about superhero fatigue. Now I think superhero fatigue would have set in a lot earlier if Marvel just kept doing origin stories. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what like, that's where black Panther really worked well is that they introduced the character in, in um, civil war. Right. So that we, when he got a solo movie, they didn't have to do as much, you know, origin movie. They could pretty much just get right into it. Because like, you already know this character. We've shown yes. him to you. You kind of have an idea of what he's about and who he is. So here here he is already. And then maybe we'll just talk about it or do some flashbacks to the origin just to, you know, kind of give you some hints. But, like, we, we're good. We're golden. Like, let's yeah. move on. Yeah. And you this, know? this um, I still think Incredible Hulk was one of my favorite ways they did the origin. Because they just had it in that montage in the opening credits. And that was all you needed to know about how Bruce Banner became the Hulk. Um, right. And, and here in this movie too, you know, having it unfold like a mystery works very well. I mean, this is actually how I think they should have done um, X-Men origins Wolverine. They should have had him waking up, no memory of who he is, and then trying to piece it together by going through and investigating it and treat it like an actual mystery. And, even though I quibble a little bit about how well they handled that mystery aspect, I think they could have executed it better. I really like the attempt here, and I really like how they're trying to do the origin story in a different way. Because you're right, with a character like Captain Marvel, you have to find an, a way to tell that origin story, especially because in the comics, her origin is so tied to a completely different character. So right. having to figure out how are we going to explain this to people, A, who are not familiar with this character and B who are familiar with her in a very different context. This is a really good way to do it. And they, I was actually surprised that they worked in Marvel at all. I was not expecting that. Yeah. And you know, and I know a lot of people quibble when they change anything, but I'm, I'm okay with it because 
when I got back into comics, I got really into the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. And and I really came to appreciate the Ultimate Universe as well as I was reading the 616 stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have the different universes going on. So as long as we take 616 and put it aside and go, that's the books. That's just for reading. This is, I don't know what MCU's number is supposed to be. I know at some point they, I think they said it um in uh, multiverse of madness but... multiverse of madness said it was 616 but then i think what if said it was a different one so i don't know it's i don't think it there's yeah. no, like official clarification but, on but that. but it, it basically it, it, it gives you the ability to tweak it change it a little bit as long as you stay close enough right you know which i feel like this did like it stayed close enough like it changed it a little bit to make it more sense plus you know other characters have already kind of taken some of this origin and they you know they didn't have time to introduce 30 new characters on top mm-hmm. of the one or two that they already were were trying to introduce yeah i agree with you um like i i feel like when you're adapting these things it can't always be a one-to-one translation it just doesn't work you're, you're talking about two different mediums one of which has you know 60 plus years of monthly stories that you have to sift through to try to make it all make sense you can't cram all that into a two hour movie. You just can't. So you're going to have to make compromises and make changes here and there. And I'm fine with that. And it's, I think my main thing is, and this is what I like about the MCU, as opposed to say a lot of the Snyder films was that they captured what I felt was like the essence of these characters. They stay true to who these characters were at their, at their core. And so like, even though Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark, isn't exactly like the Tony Stark in the comic books, he's he's got that same core of the character, right? Where he's this arrogant guy who feels like he's the smartest person in the room. Um, same thing with Chris Evans as Captain America, right? Chris Evans' version of Steve Rogers is just slightly askew of the comics version, but he managed to synthesize the core aspects of what that character is. And that's what I appreciate about what a lot of these movies are doing now. Or even some right. oh, uh... X-Men movies. I mean, right before this, I did a, we recorded the episode on, uh, on X2. That movie is very divorced from the comics, but they get so much right about the core of what the X-Men are in that movie that I can live with the changes they make to the characters or to the backgrounds or anything like that. Right. And I'm with you on those characters. I mean, I might be one of the only people on the planet who really love Taskmaster. Um, He is one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. So that that was the biggest annoyance to me so far in the MCU is what what they did to Taskmaster in the Black Widow movie. Because you can't go back and do it, mm-hmm. um, you know. I agree with that. I'd also co-sign Ghost from Ant Man and the Wasp. That was another uh, disappointment for me because I love that character uh, in the comics too. I don't have as much. I, I, you know, I knew there was a, a little different, or, or actually a lot different, mm-hmm. but, um, but I, I didn't have a love for Ghost, so that one didn't bother me as much. But, you know, like I said, I, I'm probably one of the few people on the planet who are like, Taskmaster, oh, yeah. you know, because <laughs> most people are like, who's Taskmaster? Like, right. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., I remember the the chatter at the time was a lot of people thought, um, I'm blanking on his name now, but the, the guy who ends up being the double agent for Hydra, a lot of people were thinking at the time, maybe he's Taskmaster, was kind of like the big thing, yeah. which would have been fun to see i think that would have worked out better than what they did but um but whatever um but yeah i agree with you i I was a little bit disappointed in taskmaster as well for that reason um and i think taking it back to captain marvel this is an example where they 
they stay true to who that character is. This is who Carol Danvers is. There may be some differences in her origin story, right? Marvel is a woman now instead of a man, and, and and he doesn't actually, or she doesn't actually don a superhero costume. All of that's fine because every the core of who Carol is is with that character, right? Yeah, uh, I I would say that the only thing, and I I feel like based on the trailer that just came out for Secret Invasion, it's it's going to be fixed. And I wondered it at the time. The biggest complaint I had at the end of the movie. Other was than just the 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 um, scrolls mm-hmm. being the good guys. Like they've pretty much always been the bad guys. So there's been a bit of back and forth on that. So I pre- one of the things I liked about this movie is that they didn't go with the straight good guys bad guys because they instead they tried to show there was a lot more complexity in this. And I think we'll probably see this when we get to secret invasion and also maybe in the marvels to a lesser extent we might see some of it there but this idea of my impression watching this movie was that it was uh ben mendelson and his group that were just refugees of this war and right doesn't necessarily mean all the scrolls are the good guys it just means that maybe this one group is so i think and it'll be interesting to see how they play with that because they've done some stories in the comic books with different factions of scrolls. There was a story they did in the X-Men books in the, um, I think it was the early two thousands where there was a group of scrolls that were actually mutant scrolls and were actually being persecuted by the rest of the scrolls. And they ended up becoming heroes and professor X ended up going out with them in space for a time. So they've had different, um, factions of scrolls throughout the, the, the Marvel comics. And, I'm, that was one of the things that disappointed me about Secret Invasion was it felt like, the, the comic book that is, was it felt like they had ignored all these other stories about the scrolls that had happened since the 1970s. Uh, I mean, and I know that the Scree scroll, I just keep trying Free to put those two war, words yeah. together. The, the <laughs> scroll Cree war has been raging from the beginning of, of you know, the when both of these groups were introduced into the, mm. the comics in the first place. And, you know, who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. It's very, you know, fluid based on, uh, you know, who's telling the story and what side you're looking at. But, um, and you know, you know, there are not, not just like, not every Cree is bad either. I mean, they just tend to, they tend to be same thing with the scrolls. Not every scroll is bad. They just always tend to be, right. You know, so to, but it was, so it was very jarring, to see them like being portrayed solely as the good guys when like, I know there's this history of mainly they are, are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do wonder with, you know, I, and obviously whatever they're, you know, the secret invasion show that we're getting on Disney plus is going to be vastly different than the secret invasion book. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're leading up to uh, Kang dynasty and then secret war. And I just don't, I don't know what, ultimately the game plan is with all of it. And I think, you know, we, I think there've been hints late in the movies that we've seen, but we just don't know we've seen it yet. Yeah. 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 I think they're going to be playing around with that. And I'm looking forward to secret invasion. That trailer we got looks, looks great. I'm glad we're going to get uh, finally get a chance to see um, Samuel L. Jackson play Nick Fury as, as a lead character. Um, and uh, it'll, I like how they, the idea of who is the good guy, who is the bad guy in a war. It, and also the, you know, Carol, as she reveres in, in this part of her life, right? She's only experienced one side of things, right? She's 
been essentially brainwashed by the Kree into thinking like this is the this is a fight of good versus evil. And and then we have that all flipped on its head and we find out that whole idea of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. I like that they're playing around with that idea of there are two sides in war. It's not always a black and white situation. Yeah. And and I do wonder if going into the Marvel's movie that we're getting here in a couple months or the secret invasion that we're getting, you know, in a couple months as well, if, because as of yet, you don't have to have seen any of the Disney plus movies mm-hmm. to enjoy any of the Marvel movies. Right. So like, you know, seeing WandaVision before multiverse of madness helps, but not necessary. Um, you know, but I do wonder if going into um, Captain America, whatever, a new world order. New world order, yeah. If you don't see, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier first, you know, um, and I do wonder, you know, where that's going to put some of the movies um, or even some of the shows when when we get to the point of like, oh, you didn't watch it all. Well, now you're lost, and mm-hmm. you know. I do wonder if at that point, if superhero fatigue isn't going to actually set in. Yeah, that's a it's a it's a good point. I'm I'm wondering about that myself because you know someone like me, I'm all in on the MCU. I've I watch right. everything when it comes out. Um, but other stuff like you know, I still haven't. I've only seen the first episode of the the new season of Mandalorian. I've only seen the first episode of Boba Fett. I still haven't watched all of that yet. Um, I've only seen about half of Andor, so I'm like really behind on the Star Wars stuff. Um, and I do wonder when we get to that with the MCU, because I do know there are a lot of people who are not up to date on some stuff. Like I, I spoken to people. I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, She-Hulk was amazing. And they're like, they're like, what's She-Hulk? And I'm like, you haven't. And it blows me away because that's yeah. my favorite oh, Disney show. I love She-Hulk. I love. Oh, that was that was so good. And I mean, Tatiana Maslany is just amazing. Oh, God, like, yes. Orphan, Orphan Black was just mind blowingly good. I still have um, to see that. Oh, if you can hunt it down, I highly recommend it. Um, I actually want to rewatch it because uh, they just did um, a podcast where they uh, they did like two seasons of a podcast where they actually had Tatiana Maslany come back and do voices. Oh, where it was like I continue it like see like so they think they did it was basically like season six and seven of the show. Hmm. That's so I want to I want to go back and rewatch you know the the you know the first five, but. Um, but my wife gave up on She-Hulk like two or three episodes in. Like she was just like, I'm, uh, I'm done. Like her yeah. her tolerance for that kind of fourth wall breaking is not as high as mine. But yeah, my wife hasn't. Really done. My wife is still she's still for the movies. Like she'll still watch the movies, but um, yes, uh, she's she's less interested in the TV shows. Like she'll she'll pop in every now and then. I think she watched a few episodes of Ms. Marvel. She watched a few episodes of Moon Knight. Um, she watched all of WandaVision. I think she watched all of Loki and a few others, but other ones, she's just kind of like, ah, oh, I'll pop in here. I'll, maybe I'll get to it later at some point. But, but yeah, she's definitely much more invested in the movies as opposed to the TV shows. So it is going to be interesting to see. And we're in completely untested waters at this point, right? We're in now a point where, you know, if you need, if you haven't watched everything, are you going to be able to understand this? And it's, it's a gamble Marvel's taking to to see like how much they're going to be able to right. make these accessible for people while still also having all this content out there. Well, and that was something uh, a few years ago they were talking about doing with Dark Tower mm-hmm. when they were trying to do Dark Tower. They're like, all right, we're going to do a movie and then we're going to do a season or two of a show 
and then we'll go back to doing a movie and then we'll do a scene and that just people are like that's never going to work you're not going to mm-hmm. get you're you're going to have people watch the movie then not watch the show and then try to watch the second movie that you've now hinged on watching a couple seasons right. of a show and so that idea died well marvel apparently was like i think we can make it work mm-hmm. yeah and uh i hope they do <laughs> i hope they do um or at least that they are able to make it work enough where they're able to keep doing this stuff because you know being a longtime comics book fan like it it's i love seeing all this interconnectivity but also i know that horror that i get when i talk to people who are interested in comic books or even just now i'm teaching a class where i'm using comic books in the class and it's and i'm just like shit what comics can i give my students to read where they won't be lost so it's definitely a challenge well my that was something that would come up when i talked to friends because i you know i'd be buying like you know 20 or so different mm-hmm. titles a month or whatever it was and I'm like well, how can you keep all of that straight and it's like i don't i just how i was raised like right the they ra- the the books raised me that way. They taught my uh, attention span to be able to focus on this book, then focus on that book, and then put the two together where I need to put them together in the appropriate timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they are trying to do with the movies and the TV shows what they've been doing with the books for seventy years. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it'll be interesting to see if it translates to a wider audience. Um, uh, anyway, let's talk about some of more of the performances in here. So we talked a little bit about um, Brie Larson. Uh, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson is always great as Nick Fury, but I love that he had so much more to do in, in this movie than he's gotten up to date in the MCU. And, I agree. And we get to see a different we, a different side of him, right? We get to see a bit of a, a more of a human side to him as opposed to always the, the cold badass we get in most of the movies. Yeah, well, because he hasn't he whatever he's experienced between Captain Marvel and you know Avengers, mm-hmm. you know, or Iron Man, Iron Man Two is when he I guess he really shows up. Um, like what whatever we haven't we haven't seen what he experienced there yet, so we don't yeah. know what turned him bitter. You know. Yeah, so, but also uh, just like to see that different side of him was just such a nice change of pace, and to kind of see like where he will where he was where he started off where he will end up later on where he becomes so so bitter and um cynical and untrustworthy right exactly um i think it was amazing that they were able to pull out annette benning mm-hmm. it was also interesting that you pulled out annette benning and then you barely used her <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i loved her as marvell i kind of wish we'd I'm kind of hoping we'd get like a, a Marvel series or something where we get to see more of Annette Benning playing that character. Yeah. It just seems, it seems like such a, well, I guess Glenn close in guardians one or two. I don't remember. Guardians which one. Yeah. Now. Guardians one. It's like, wait, you spent the money to get an actor of that caliber for barely more than an extended <laughs> cameo. Like, I mean, <laughs> um, same thing with like Jude Law. Like, I mean, I really enjoyed, uh, I thought Jude Law was, I mean, again, knowing the comics before helped me, you know, mm-hmm. so when Jude Law ended up being the villain, you know, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I wasn't surprised by that. But, you know, his his role, like you kind of pick up on it early, you know, if you knew that the Kree were who they were. Mm-hmm. But I think he played it well enough that, like, for the people who didn't know that, were genuinely like, you know, when he had his heel turn, like, you know, genuinely kind of shocked by it. Yeah, I I agree. I thought Jude Law. You know, if you had asked me what part would you think would you want Jude Law to play in the MCU, 
I'm not sure what I would have said, but it definitely wouldn't have been Jan Rog. So it was, um, it's a surprising choice to have him in a, in a role like this, but he does a good job. He does a really good job in it. I really enjoyed him, uh, in this movie. Um, also it was great seeing, uh, Clark Gregg as a young Phil Coulson and just like, he's like, you know, just so green in this movie. And it makes sense why he's so cool in later movies and like nothing affects him because he saw all this shit in Captain Marvel. Right. Cause you know, they're calling him rookie and mm. you know, so, I mean, I don't know how many days onto the job he is, but you know, he's still young enough that he's called a rookie and he's being shot at by, you know, space cannons and having his identity stolen by aliens and, you know, yeah. You know, cats puking up cosmic rocks <laughs> on it. <laughs> um, but I think maybe my favorite performance in this is probably met, uh, Ben Mendelsohn is Talos. He, he just plays it in, in, I, it's funny because I saw him in, in uh, The Outsider recently, which is uh, you know a completely different type of role. So it, it's really funny to go back and, and watch him in this now and just like how much fun he's having playing this character. Yeah, I'm, I can't say I'm overly familiar with Ben Mendelsohn. I mean, I know him like, you know, but I, you know, I just I don't know where I can't place where I know him from other than this movie. He was also in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. He was the... Um uh daggett the the corporate guy okay yeah i mean it's one of those like i'm sure if i was to go look at imdb and 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 glance through i'd be like oh that's where i know him from oh that's where i know him from that's you know sometimes my encyclopedic memory of of random actors playing random things fails me but -hmm. you know when you get to when you get to your mid-40s it starts you know falling apart right but um, but I liked what he did here. I'm really looking forward to seeing him back in Secret Invasion. Also, I like the the brief bit of him we get at the end of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. We find out he's been impersonating Fury the whole time. Yeah. Um, I do wonder, what, do you, have they said, or I'm guessing they'll get to it with Secret Invasion, have you been able to figure out where the Talos Fury switch happened? My, I don't think they've ever said it, but my guess is it happened uh, after Endgame would be where I'd say it happened because it it makes sense okay. that he was he was Fury the whole time in, in uh, No Way Home because I mean Fury in that movie like he he gets he gets punked a lot by he gets you know he gets um, run circles around quite a bit in that movie so it makes sense that it's Talos impersonating Fury as opposed to Fury being in that movie until the end yeah and that. And that that little post credit scene did make that mo- make more sense because there was that like, wait, Fury felt like repeatedly fell for this, like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then it makes sense. Oh, okay. But I was just wondering, like, because I know some people are like, wait, does that mean Fury has been you know Talos the entire time, even during Avengers? And I'm like, no, I think the switch happened some point after you know, either during or, or at right, you know, somewhere between infinity war and end game or after end game. I think it happened after end game because he was dusted at the end of infinity war. So it makes sense that after coming back from that, he's going to want to take um, space threats more seriously. So that's why he goes up into space, starts working with Talos. So that fits a lot better than I think. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm guessing that's going to also lead to sword being introduced. Yeah, they were introduced in um, uh, uh, WandaVision. There was that organization okay. that was going after it. Oh, they changed it because right, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't just space, though. That was, it, instead of sentient world, it was sentient weapons. Observation. Okay, yeah. 
Um, so they'll uh, probably uh, combine yeah. them together and create like the space-based sword in, in Secret Invasion is what seems to be what's happening. Oh, I, I wonder, I do, I'm curious, you know, and I know this is getting off topic by quite a bit, but that's what I do on my show. So uh, welcome to my world. That's fine. We do um, it all the time here as well. <laughs> um, when they get around to finally introducing Norman Osborn in the Spider-Man universe, mm-hmm. um, if Norman Osborn is able to take over S.H.I.E.L.D. and rename it Hammer and do that, like, you know, the Dark Avengers and, and that whole mm-hmm. Yeah, that that whole storyline, which could be really fascinating. And they might be doing a different version of that because it seems like they're setting up uh, the Contessa for that kind of Osborne-like role, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character, because yeah. she's going to be running the Thunderbolts. It looks like, which is probably going to end up being like the Dark Avengers type of thing. So, um, which I think is actually a, a better way to do that as opposed to what they I. I've got very mixed feelings on Dark Reign and what they did with Norman Osborn in that story. I felt like they were taking him. I felt like that kind of role didn't really suit that character. If it was someone more like Baron Zemo, I think it would have made a lot more sense. But for for Osborn, it never really fit very well with me, even though I like some of the stuff they did in those books. And of course, that's a question of if they're even going to bring Norman Osborn in after they did um, after they had the alternate universe one pop up in No Way Home. Um, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with the Spider-Man stuff now after they'd set all that stuff up. Yeah, I don't, because I, I'm, I'm guessing because, I mean, we've talked about the X-Men a few times already and they've sort of introduced the concept in, in Multiverse of Madness when they brought Mm -hmm. Professor X in, they finally said the word mutant with Miss Marvel. Uh, um, they said a mutation with Ms. Marvel, but it was actually, uh, Namor in, in, uh, Wakanda forever. Yeah, and who then, says I'm a mutant. And then, so he right, literally and, is MC, the Mar- Marvel's first mutant. Cause he's the first character to call himself a mutant. <laughs> right. Um, I've always wondered, you know, I've, I've, I was wondering if the, the blip would do it, but now I'm wondering if, if the, this multiverse war that's coming, isn't going to, cause I, I do think that, um, same problem that with the origin stories is that now you have to figure out a way to create the the mutant problem. Yeah. I mean, for lack of a better word, where you either have to say this entire group of people have been hanging out in Connecticut, ignoring everything. Mm-hmm. And now they're showing up and doing something. Or you have to bring in an entire universe that's had the mutant thing. And now these two universes are sharing the same right. world. Yeah. You know. So there's... I've got a, I've got a theory of how that could work. You know, people who listened to last week's episode, you're going to be hearing this again because I we just talked about this at the end of the the X two episode. We literally just finished recording before this, um, and uh, my guest, one of my guests who was on that one, Oscar Owens, he said that the the multiverse thing makes more sense to him, especially when you bring in the whole the whole mutant angle. So it makes sense for the X Men to come in and mutants to come in from a different world. My way of thinking is, I think they're setting it up with the blip and uh, because you see that in, in WandaVision, it's revealed that Wanda seemed to have some power before she came into contact with the mind stone, the mind stone just kind of like jump started it. And so, so I think what it was, and then also in, in end game, you know, from infinity war to end game, we had three different snaps uses of all the infinity stones on earth. And rocket said, when, Thanos did the blip. It was this surge of cosmic energy that had never been seen before. And then we get those same surges twice more in Endgame. 
So my theory is that mutants have existed, like Namor has been around for a while now, um, but they've been in such small numbers. So you could have something like Krakoa, which is a sentient mutant island. It can move around from place to place. So my theory is that mutants have existed for years, but the numbers have been so small. You're talking like one in a million or something like that. And you've been able, Xavier and Magneto have been gathering up mutant refugees, living with them on Krakoa. But now with the blip, there's this surge of cosmic energy and it's jump-started the X gene. So whereas a lot of people now, if their grandchildren or great-grandchildren were to become mutants, now instead they're happening. So the mutant gene is being activated several generations early. And there's this big explosion in the mutant population. I think that can work with what's been established in the MCU and can also give people that fear of mutants because they came from what was the worst tragedy that humankind ever experienced. That makes way more sense than um, anything I've really thought out. And um, I think about this stuff I... way too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, because I, I would say like, you know, with the with the coming of the mutants, because that's going to happen. We're going to get it. Mm. I mean, they have to figure out they're making Deadpool three. So they're going to have to figure out how to tie that in. Right. Um, and they're bringing in a multiversal yeah. Wolverine in that one, too, because Hugh Jackman's right. coming back. But they said it's not going to be the same Wolverine from the X-Men movies. Also, we had yeah. Patrick Stewart playing Professor X. But again, wasn't the same Professor X from the X-Men movies. Yeah. And, and you know, who knows? And that, you know, I know they introduced the idea of Reed Richards um, and they they keep saying they're doing a Fantastic Four movie. Mm hmm. Um, who knows if it's actually going to be John Krasinski or any of the other 157 actors that have been officially <laughs> listed as in final talks. Um, I, I think uh, I would love to see same with they did with Black Panther. I would love to see the Fantastic Four introduced in a Spider-Man movie or maybe even the idea of having them introduced in the Marvels. I mean, I mm -hmm. doubt because there's been no no rumors that, that it'll probably be introduced that fast, but right. um, introduce them in that so that when we get the Fantastic Four movie, we can go right into it. We don't have to do the origin again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, and in fact, I think it's funny that they started off with, they did Captain Marvel in the past because the Fantastic Four going on their space mission would have made a lot of sense in the past and then like in like some sort of time warp or something and then bringing back in the present. And maybe they'd had adventures out in space or something like that in that time period. I think something like that would have made a lot of sense for them. Um, I mean, I will say my my dream casting for Reed Richards is now out of the question. But I was hoping for William Jackson Harper from um, uh, uh, The Good Place. Uh, okay. Someone had mentioned him as Reed Richards, and I thought that was a great choice. And then, But then he popped up in Quantumania, so probably not going to happen now. <laughs> Although Gemma, no, but I mean, Gemma Chan appeared in this as Minerva, and then she popped up as, as Cersei in Eternal, so you never know. Right, you know. Um, it wouldn't be the first time they've just recast an actor and used him a second time, mm -hmm. or just straight up changed altogether. Who knows? We'll, it'll be interesting to see going forward. Um, you know, and I, I, do, I like the idea of introducing a character in a movie so that we can kind of skip the origin and go right into mm -hmm. something, you know, something else. Although that being said, like Shang-Chi was amazing. You know, yes. And yeah. that was just a straight origin. So, I mean, it can be done and it can be done well. Well, also I think Shang-Chi did a lot that what Captain Marvel did as well is they kind of, 
they mix up the origin so it's it's not all front loaded at the beginning of the movie, but it's it's peppered out throughout the the movie. So you get these flashback scenes of him as a kid growing up, um, and, and it works very well that way. And I think I think that's a that's a good way to do it, so that people don't because I think that was a big problem with the first Amazing Spider Man movie is you had the origin stuff all front loaded at the beginning of the movie, and so so much so that when you get to the the Uncle Ben death scene it just felt very by the numbers by the time you're watching uncle beth uncle ben die whereas in in shanchi and captain marvel the origin felt a lot more organically weaved into the overall story um but yeah that's uh do we have anything else you want to say about captain marvel anything we haven't quite touched on that you wanted to oh mm-hmm. one thing we didn't talk about was lashana lynch as uh, maria rambo um, okay, what do you think of yeah. her, her and her relationship with um, with Carol? I would say that I I don't I'm not uh, overly familiar with her character from the comic books to begin with. I know that uh, Monica Rambeau becomes Photon or Captain Universe or whatever. They, so she you know, ended up yeah, with. Monica started off as Captain Marvel. She was actually the second Captain Marvel, and then um, when Marvel's son Janice came into the picture she gave she gave him the name back and then she became photon later on she becomes um what's that she comes there's another name she takes on for like a hot minute and and then she eventually becomes spectrum in the mighty avengers books and then i think now she's back to photon if i'm not mistaken okay i you know i just it felt like and and maybe we'll get more of it I, well, probably not because we're we're so far into the future now, and that you know we've missed that entire relationship. That like they were supposedly like these great friends and super close, mm-hmm. but I don't think they. That was one of the things that did feel a little disingenuous in the movie. Is that like you don't get the you know the buildup of them being friends? Like he just shows up and they're like, yeah, we're best friends again. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you've been gone. We thought you were dead. You've been gone for six years, you know. And then, you know, this woman is just like, oh, okay, we're great friends. All right, jump in the spaceship. Let's go fight some aliens. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that that kind of touched on, again, this idea that I had of playing with the idea of giving Carol her memories, but not the emotional attachment to them would have made for some interesting dynamics between the two of them. Uh, And also because when we see Monica in WandaVision, she seems a little bit, you know, bitter or angry towards Carol. And I feel like it's one thing to have it, you know, while she was gone this whole time. Yeah, again, I think it, but it'd make more sense if it's this idea that she has these memories, but she doesn't know how to connect to Monica anymore would have made, would have worked better because they seem to have a pretty good relationship when Carol leaves at the end of the movie here. Yeah, I mean... It'll be interesting to see with the Marvels because the the trailer doesn't really show them really interacting very much. So it, right. it, you know, I don't know what the relationship is is supposed to be, uh, or where where it stands. Um, I'm sure there will be some. But you left for 20 years or however long it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you know, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to doing it. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure the little girl's a little disappointed. They just jumped her character, you know, that far into the future, so like she didn't get to continue on. But you know, mm-hmm. such is life. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing pro- with the actress who played Cassie in the Ant Man movies, right? 
she had the same yeah thing. yeah um uh well also probably the the young t'challa they introduced at the end of wakanda forever he's probably going to be aged up in the multiverse stuff i'd imagine i would assume and and it it that that allows them to bring t'challa back in and mm-hmm. call black panther t'challa and right. not yeah and I was like, oh, that's how they're going to recast T'Challa by just calling him T'Challa Jr. or yeah. whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. They so, did that with uh, with Nick Fury in the comic books to um, to bring in a black Nick Fury. So he looks like Samuel L. Jackson. They brought in Nick Fury Jr. <laughs> well, and, and they they introduced Nick Fury as as the as the as the African-American gentleman in uh, the Ultimate Universe. Right. Yeah. But now he's also they, in they, 616, too. Right, where they just totally patterned him after Samuel Jackson, and Samuel Jackson was like, "That guy, I owe my quite a bit of money to that guy because he gave me this entire career when they when he drew me as this character." And they were like, "Well, now we have to cast him." Yeah, that was actually part of the deal because they went to Jackson and asked if they could use his likeness, and Jackson said, "Yes, if I get to play him in a movie." So they said yes, and then they, that's how they got to do it. Oh, so for, wish we could have seen David Hasselhoff play that. No, no, I'm not. I'm not mad about. <laughs> I actually, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the. I thought Hasselhoff did a surprisingly good job as as Nick Fury in that movie. I mean, I suggest going back and watching it again. You know, there's there's some stuff that's clunky about it, but I think Hasselhoff plays it surprisingly well for what you'd expect. It has been. When did that movie? It was a TV movie in what, 98, 99? 97, 98, something like that, yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably been since then since I've seen it. So yeah, I I, I could I could watch it again. We covered um, it on one of the very early episodes of this show. We covered it. Um so you can go back and listen to our, our conversation on that. And um yeah, I mean I thought Hasselhoff surprisingly was one of the better things about that movie. Um Sandra Hess's Viper, on the other hand, not so much, but <laughs> Um, but I mean, personally, I think, you know, Kurt Russell is still who I would have loved to see play Nick Fury, um, back, especially back in the day, but right. That ship sailed now. Um, yeah, I think, uh, one of the, I think another disappointment is that we may never see, I loved the, the Captain Marvel series from the early two thousands that Peter David did starring, uh, kept Marvel's son, Janice. So, um, that guy was that was my Captain Marvel because that was the one I I read when I was uh, when I was in high school. Uh, but it doesn't. I don't think we'll ever see him in the movies, which is kind of a disappointment to me. Who knows? They found ways to bring characters in and and tie them in later in ways that I've been surprised by. Well, I mean, yeah, I so... mean the the Shan Chi thing, right? That's a good example of it. After I was really disappointed in Iron Man three and what they did to the Mandarin, and then when they did that, the um, all hail the king one shot and i'm like oh there's a real mandarin out there that's probably the last we'll ever hear of him and then we get tony lung playing him and doing an amazing job of it so yes yeah and and you know so there there are i i trust kevin feige yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i you know to to do what kevin feige has done like it there they i i don't know if there's been another and obviously he's not doing it on his own but to, to do a 20 plus 24, 25, whatever, 26 movies mm-hmm. they're up to now and all the TV shows and make them all interconnected and work and very, very rarely ever contradict or, or, you know, force each other, you know, force you to retcon a whole bunch of stuff. Like they've made it work. And 
I would say for the most part have kept true to the comics and true to the vision mm-hmm. of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and and Jack all Kirby, of, yeah. you know, yeah. Jack Kirby. That was the name I was trying to come up with, but you know, no, no, I, all of the original. I mean, what what Feige and his team have been able to been able to do is is absolutely unprecedented. I mean, like even Star Wars, like Star Wars is the only, the closest thing you have to a competitor, and they've had nowhere near the same amount of of continuity of leadership or just sheer number of of, of movies or TV shows. So, right. So yeah, uh, it's definitely yeah. We're and like we were saying, we're going to be in uncharted waters to see how they're able to to keep threading this needle where they're able to make it accessible for people who don't watch everything, but also make it packed enough so people who do watch everything feel like they're being rewarded for that. Right. Um, but anyway, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Anyway, Nicholas, uh, can you tell people where they can find your stuff? Um, we are at uh, mediapodsmash.com backslash popcultureroulette. I mean, that's the that's our website, but it's easier just to find us at, at popcultureroulette on Facebook um, or popcultroulette on Instagram because they wouldn't let me have all of the letters. Uh, <laughs> I had that problem with um, my username too. <laughs> Uh, they, you know, we, we try to put episodes out every Monday. Uh, we're, we're pretty good about it. Um, like I said earlier, uh, we, we try to stick to pop culture. We, you know, one of the two guys that I do the podcast with is in superhero fatigue. So I've been trying to back down on always talking about, uh, Marvel or DC stuff and bringing in other stuff. But, uh, we, we just, you know, the three of us, we've been friends now for a long time and, and we, we enjoy watching uh you know in you know tv and movies and then talking about them and just bullshitting with each other mm-hmm. okay awesome and uh we'll have links to that in the show notes so people can go and check that out uh as for us our website is superherocinephiles.com super cinema pod is the twitter and instagram handles and if you subscribe to our patreon page then you get these episodes a week in advance plus you get access to the superhero cinephiles book club once a month where we talk about uh comic books graphic novels all that fun stuff Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.